This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. The first of the month, this hump day brings you Scoop Podcast episode 163. We will go heavy on interviews early, then wrap with a plethora of notes. We'll get to Ryan Harris on Clancy Barone. We'll get to Cole Aldrich on being a free agent. But we start with Twins General Manager Thad Levine. The Scoop Podcast is brought to you by Skull Marketing. And we welcome a new sponsor to the podcast. It is Vivid Seats. I'll tell you more about Vivid Seats in just a second. But Vivid Seats is an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans live entertainment and experiences that last a lifetime. They make it easy to get Vikings tickets at U.S. Bank Stadium. So I'll tell you all about Vivid Seats in just a bit. But let's start with the Twins General Manager. Thad, always great to catch up. All right, the human side of things. My seven-year-old, I'm not making this up, Dad, his three favorite players, Eddie Rosario. So he's incredibly grateful that Eddie is still here. But Brian Dozier and Eduardo Escobar, I won't lie, it was hard to break him the news that you guys moved two of his favorite players. How much do you weigh? I mean, laughs aside, I mean, we can joke. I mean, the seven-year-old's going to be okay. But, you know, laughs aside, how much do you guys weigh the human side of things, the PR side of things when you move a guy, especially a guy like Brian Dozier, who's a fan favorite? Actually, uh, all joking aside, I, I think when we have some of these conversations internally, it's the seven-year-old Twins fan exactly who we have in mind when we make some of these deals uh, because we don't want to ever stray too far from the heart and soul of our, our fan group, and we view that to be just that. So it, it's, it's a huge element. I, I think there's a notion in today's game now that teams are getting so much better on the analytics side and that these decisions are being reduced to – formulas and to a clinical side of things and I think one thing that Derek and I just continued to talk about throughout the course of the trade deadline with our group was you know the element the human element it's how, how are the players who are traded impacted how are their families impacted uh, how's our team impacted how's the clubhouse impacted how's our staff impacted and ultimately how are our fans impacted all of those things I think are major factors in these decisions and I don't think we should ever lose sight of that. I mean, do you even also have conversations with players to make sure that they know that they're not, for lack of a better term, you know, feel like a robot with so much analytics now in play, that there is a human side that you do care about each individual player? Well, I can tell you it was really disappointing to Derek and myself that we weren't able to get out to Boston in time to be able to sit down with Eduardo Escobar personally and tell him about the trade. He ultimately found out by way of the media, which, you know, it's just, it, it, it happens nowadays. It's disappointing when it does, but there's so many nuances to these deals that you have to have resolved before these trades are official. So you're kind of caught in the conundrum of the teleplayer before the trade is finalized and then have it the possibility that the trade could fall apart and have to undo it, or you wait till afterwards and risk the fact they may find out from somebody else. So we were aspirational of getting ahead of those things. We did just that with, with Brian Dozier yesterday. We actually gave him an update prior to the trade being finalized because we didn't want to run the risk of the same mistake that we made with Eduardo. So the the human component is a constant part of the conversation. And as best we can, we try to stay in connection with players and their agents through this process. And and quite frankly, try to be as honest as we can. On Dozier, did you get the sense when you broke news? And certainly, I mean, you guys, Brian told us the other day in the clubhouse that that he talked to you and Derek, I presume, I guess in Boston, but maybe it was, I don't know, Monday morning or whenever. But did you get the sense that, that Brian was was very excited about this opportunity to move on, to play in a pennant race, 
you know, and heck, he sees Escobar go, you know, I mean, you guys didn't extend his contract. Did you get the sense that Brian was, was excited to get out of here? I think he expressed a wide spectrum of emotions. I think first he was an exceptional professional and he was very, very grateful and appreciative of what this franchise has meant to both he and Renee and the rest of their families. Uh, you know, he's very appreciative to Paul and all the impact that he's had throughout his career. So he was, that was his first response. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of a shell shock. I think what fans don't realize is one of the most peculiar, peculiar elements of our profession is that you could wake up one day and be living in Minneapolis and then be told the next morning you're, you need to move to Southern California and you've got a day to do it and you're playing the game tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. That's very, very uncommon in the rest of our lives. Uh, so that's, I think, something he was processing. But Brian had told us pretty candidly that his primary goal was to play in the playoffs and to do it with the Minnesota Twins. But then a secondary goal was to play in the playoffs. And so I think that this will accomplish that for him. I think the Dodgers are very well tracking towards an opportunity to go back to the playoffs and maybe make a deep run. So his first goal was to do that with the Twins. His second goal was to do that. And I think he'll be able to accomplish that this year with, with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And certainly Brian was vocal. You know, his point was, hey, give us the full 162 games. Heck, you know, last year, as rare as that was, look at just last year's. Your comeback to that, that, hey, we gave you 100 games. Like, if you guys were capable of doing anything, you would have done it in these first 100 games. So we had to make the decisions that we made. I, I think, you know, you want the players to have that attitude. You want them to believe that there's always a chance and that they get fight in them. But the reality is, you know, each season has a different complexion. Last one's was so unique in the sense that the wild card was tracking towards a, a smaller group of teams with a lower win total. And so we were able to fight for two different playoff firsts last year, whereas this one we were really focused more on, on the division. And we have to make uh, executive decisions. And it's really challenging the way that the uh, trade deadline date is, is situated. It's approximately two-thirds of the season, so you're, you're not really looking to pull the plug on the club with 50 to 60 games left, but that's just when these decisions need to be made. And I think we effectively determined that the worst place to be was caught in between. And so we got ownership support. We, we wanted to either invest in the 2018 version of the Minnesota Twins or the 2019 and beyond. And we felt the best decision right now is 2019 and beyond uh, because doing neither, we felt we give other teams an opportunity to pass us by, and that's just something we weren't, we weren't comfortable with. All right, with that being said, I mean, was there a temptation to do even more? I mean, you could have moved more guys. We were focused primarily on the players who were going to be free agents. Ryan Presley was the only player we traded who had control beyond this year. He was controllable through 2019. And I think the reason we stopped there was because we do believe in this club. We, we feel like we'll walk into the offseason with a very similar core to this group a core that we think we can build around, a core that we think can have impact in 2019 and beyond in our division. So we were reluctant to do anything much more dramatic than what we did. Uh, And once again, you know, a lot of the players that we parted with um, over the last four to five days are guys that will have opportunities to sit down with their representation this offseason and potentially uh, continue a relationship. We'll see how that ends up playing out. But we were prepared to, to, to trade shorter-term assets. We really were reluctant to trade people who we thought could factor into the next iteration of a playoff-contending franchise. Dad, when you say core, I mean, who specifically you know makes up the core when you say core? I think as, as we look at it right now, it's, it's still Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler, Jose Burrios, and, you know, and others who you know, will maybe be on the scene sooner than later in the big league level, but 
I think that's the, the grouping right now that we're, we're looking to see how they gel, progress, elevate one another. Uh, and we think that's a really attractive group of, of players to build around. Is Kyle Gibson also a part of that core, or do you just not mention him because he can be free after next year? I, I think that's the only reason. You know, the other guys, we just have a, a longer window of control. But certainly if we had ex- extended conversations with him this offseason, he certainly solidified himself in that role. I think he is one of the best stories of the season and what he has done, personal growth and development. And also I give it such, a, such an amazing amount of credit to Darren Johnson and Mike Radcliffe and Tim O'Neill and the guys, this is exactly what they saw out of Kyle Gibson when they saw him in college. They saw this potential. They've never flagged on that. They've never wavered. And here he is delivering. So I think he deserves a ton of credit. And I think the evaluators who've always been supportive of Kyle uh, deserve a ton of credit because it's really special to see what he's doing at the big league level now. You talk about the core competing next year, 2019. How much of your how much of your 2019 plan is is laid out and how much is is still to be determined and i guess that's just a roundabout way to ask i mean you will have a ton of payroll flexibility i mean are you already analyzing the guys that that will be free agents and having a plan when it comes to the free agent market well we do have payroll flexibility we've been purposeful in our decision making over the last two uh, trade cycles to maintain that but we also are going to have a lot of uh, holes to fill on our team some of those will be filled by players who matriculate from the minor leagues. Others, we're, we're going to need to get creative in trades and and in free agency. And that, that was one of our kind of secondary goals of this trade deadline, one we didn't necessarily address fully, although we did acquire Tyler Austin, the guy who could factor mm-hmm. in for us in the, in the more near term. By and large, the players we got back were double-A and below. And so we still have some work to do in terms of uh, rounding out this roster and complementing this group to determine – how much we're pushing in for 2019 and how we're going to continue to build for that you know, window that we feel we're going to be primetime contenders in the American League Central. Speaking of Tyler Austin, do you still get him if you don't send New York some money? And I guess overall, I mean, sending Seattle some money, sending New York some money, how did that impact the return you got from both the Mariners and the Yankees? You know, it, it, Darren, it's hard, to, it's hard to actually nail down if it netted us exactly a, a specific player. I just can tell you from the tenor of some of those negotiations that allowed us to access maybe a slightly higher level of player than we otherwise were. And in New York's case, you know, some of these teams, you know, it's hard for fans to probably really embrace this, but there, there's a competitive balance tax associated with the thresholds of, of payrolls. And, you know, some of the bigger payroll teams you talk to, they're very – very open about that in the outset of negotiations and say, hey, listen, this is the max amount of money we can take in this deal. And then our position typically is, well, then we're going to ask for a little bit of a heightened level of return. Sometimes that comes in the form of an additional player. Sometimes that comes in the form of a slightly higher tiered player than you otherwise could access. Peel back the layer a little bit of of the war room, the, the curtain. I mean, you guys are back, what, late Sunday night? Do you go right into the office or are you back in the office you know, first thing Monday morning, how many other people are in the office? Are we talking you, Derek, Rob Antney, Mike Radcliffe? I mean, how many people are in that in that war room, you know, constantly on the phone those last 48 hours? We, we had a exceptional, exceptionally productive room. Uh, we had a blend of professional scouting representation. Uh, we had player de- development representing the room, and we had our analytics group, and, and then a lot of the people you just mentioned – so I wouldn't say it was a static group. There are probably 10 to 12 seats in Derek's office that kind of makeshift for us, and people rotated in and out. But the conversation was exceptional, I think, and 
the group did a phenomenal job. You know, in my career, I've never been part of a trade deadline where five trades were consummated individually. We only were able to accomplish that based upon the constant counsel feedback and quality of recommendation we got from our scouts and, and from our analytics folks alike. I know you've said that you don't like to talk contracts in season, but on Eduardo Escobar, did his agent, did he approach you guys about possibly extending him before you made the decision to trade him? Did you guys approach Escobar's agent? You know, because there was a report that you guys had some dialogue about extending Escobar before trading him. You know, we, you know, we, we had a lot of conversations with, with our players throughout the course of the year. We, we were pretty specific that just with the number of free agents we had and some of the, you know, the high-end free agents that we were tracking to have, we didn't want to treat some people one way and others a different way. So we stayed consistent that we weren't necessarily going to make offers. We, we were pretty consistent also that we would always entertain offers if they were presented to us. I think we had some healthy dialogue with, with Eduardo's representation. And I think the collective resolve was that we can certainly have conversations this offseason. Making a trade didn't preclude that. Mm-hmm. I, I think we've seen from the commentary that uh, Eduardo's had since he's left that I think his bond to this community is, is still as strong as it ever was. Mm-hmm. And I certainly feel like this community's outreach to him uh, is reflected in that. So I think, you know, if, if when, when he becomes a free agent, I think we will definitely have the ability to have a seat at that table uh, this offseason. How many trades were close that you didn't make? 17. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question, Darren, honestly, because, uh, you know, maybe beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Sometimes we thought things were a little closer than who knows if on the other side they weren't really ever considering it. But it, it really is a matter of the art form of some of these negotiations is kind of reading when there there is true track traction versus just tire kicking or inventory taking. There were sure was a lot of inventory taking, which is to say teams calling up and say, hey, what would it take for you to trade player X? And, you know, then we try to follow that up by saying, you know, how sincere is your interest right now? And sometimes they would tell you, hey, we're just putting it on the board compared to what we think we can do for the, all the other right-handed relievers on the market. And then we're going to double back. And I think our attitude in those instances was typically, unless we're kind of plan A, we don't necessarily want to present fallback plans for every team and so then teams would circle back with us if they were really sincere at that point we'd kind of pick up pretty quickly but i would say this objectively to get to yes on a deal there are probably no fewer than 10 iterations of combinations of players that each side present to one another before the deal is actually consummated that's nuts i mean do you feel like you you laid some groundwork on on one particular trade or multiple that maybe you revisit come november I do, and I think that's part of this. You know, we, we, as I mentioned earlier, we were very covetous of our players that had uh, control beyond 2018 and certainly the ones beyond 2019. But you also document all the teams that called on those players. And, you know, I think you, you, you want to maybe probe a little bit in the offseason to see how interested they are in those players. But, you know, the trade deadline usually yields the buyers who are the uh, teams tracking towards the playoffs calling the sellers. If we were ever to contemplate trading guys that we have control on past, say, 2019, we would want to open it up to the entire market rather than just the teams that are tracking towards the playoffs at any given moment. So we take that information down. We, we catalog every single conversation that Derek, myself, Rob Anthony has with another team. Uh, and then we utilize that information later to try to have jumping off points to, to possible means to improve the club. 
I'll let you go after a couple final points. Okay, so if, if you hit the reset button, I mean, is there any thought that, that there's still some guys in that clubhouse that you could let go right now, bring up some guys from the minors? I mean, you mentioned Tyler Austin. I know Alan Busnitz is, what, eligible to come back, what, August 2nd? Maybe there's some other intriguing arms at AAA. I mean, is there is there a thought that, hey, you know, whether it's a Mapalaya, Logan Morrison, any number of other guys, that maybe it's time to, to bring some guys up from the minors and, and cut the cord on a few more guys? Well, I think I think those are kind of two two questions embedded in one. And guilty. So the way I look at it is that the way I kind of look at it is that you know we we'll have September to to call up some of those guys, and I think a lot of the the guys you just mentioned are very deserving, especially a lot of our pitchers down there, uh, most of whom have gotten very short stints in the big leagues this year, just due to some circumstances that were out of their control. So we're looking forward to getting some of those guys up here, getting them real time, uh, heading into the off season. And then the secondary component of that is, you know, we have a we have a grouping of veterans still on this club. Matt Lyle, you mentioned Logan Morrison, you mentioned Fernando Rodney, Urban Santana, Joe Mauer. You know, those types of guys who I think we have relationships with each and every one of those guys that we would be inclined to sit down with them and you know try to gauge their their desire to play in other places and try to contend the rest of this year and depending on the opportunities to fulfill their desires, we, you know, we would be open to those conversations uh, because we made this decision. We don't think we should then uh, compel them to, to abide by that just, just as innocent bystanders in this so that we'll allow them to partner in some of those dialogues. Uh, but I think that's something we would feel across the board for those guys. Do you foresee being active in August? I mean, heck, I mean, you can put guys on waivers, what, starting right now? I mean, do you foresee the potential of a trade or two in August? I can say this. I, I, you know, you know, it's tough to prognosticate. You need a, you need another team out there to to punch your dance card. But we will be prepared to make deals in the event that they present themselves. Michael Pineda back in your rotation September in the bullpen. I mean, I'm looking for reasons to be excited the rest of the year. Certainly, Michael Pineda would be one for me. Without question, I, I think he tracks to our original plan with him is that he'd first come back in the pen, and then we could kind of ease him into the rotation. His his uh, rehab has gone exceptionally well. So I think we start with him in the pen, maybe more in an extended role, and then we'll just see how his arm responds to that. But I, I think we, like you, are very excited to see him come up and perform at the major league level. And then there are you know, a handful of guys at AAA that we feel similarly about that you know we're going to get a chance to look at for the rest of this year. Talking to Miguel Sano in the clubhouse the other day, I mean, just looking at him, it looks like he's down 5, 7, 8 pounds, 9 pounds, 10, maybe more. I mean, is that encouraging? I mean, when you've... When you've talked to McGill, I mean, maybe the at-bats aren't necessarily encouraging, but just looking at him physically, how encouraging is that? Uh, I think his commitment to the program that we put forth for him in Fort Myers is very encouraging. Ian Kadish, who oversees all of our minor league strength and conditioning, Dave Rack, who's down there, both reported back that he was very committed to the plan. So for us, it was never truly just about weight. It had a lot more to do with his commitment and his physical fitness. And I think he did drop some pounds, as you mentioned, but more important to that, I think he stayed true and committed to the program that we put forth him, and I think that bodes very well for the future. Let you go after two more points, two guys. Byron Buxton, the wrist is bothering him again. Yes, the, uh, the answer is yes. So he's going to get evaluated by uh, probably the foremost specialist, hand and wrist specialist in sports in the United States, Doctor Doctor Graham, and we should have uh, some feedback on him hopefully in the near term. All right, so that, that visit with Dr. Graham is today on Wednesday? Yes, yes. yes. 
Okay, and is there any sense, or are you just you have to wait and see how that visit goes? I mean, gosh, it just it's been one thing after another with Byron. I guess is is what I'm getting at. I mean, it's just been frustrating all year. It, it has been, and you know, nobody's more frustrated than Byron is. It's, it's been a real challenging season for him. You know, you you look at it, and I'm not sure if he's had really a pocket of, of bona fide good health throughout the course of the year. But we're going to try to get this all behind him. It you know it doesn't change our plans of staying committed to his growth and development. And we recognize there's been a few more bumps along the road this year than any of us could have possibly anticipated. Uh, but hopefully we can get this all behind him and get him back to being, you know, the, the double plus player that he is at the major league level. Nick Gordon. I mean, just on the surface, looking at the numbers, the numbers don't wow you. They don't even do much for most of us. I mean, how do you evaluate them? I mean, you have the book on Nick. You're talking to the coaches there. I mean, you know, things go deeper than the numbers. How how do you evaluate how Nick Gordon is doing right now in Rochester? You know, I, I, I think you look at his age and, you know, you, there's this vision that all premium players are going to just plow through the minor leagues and and never be challenged. Uh, and then those guys get to the big leagues and we bemoan the fact that they were never challenged at the minor league level and never faced adversity. And, and they do at the big league level and they don't tend to know how to work through that. So he's facing some adversity right now. I think we're, we're hopeful he takes advantage of that growth opportunity. But the facts are that he's still a very young man playing at AAA. We pushed him a little bit quickly through the system. If that means he has to stay there a little bit longer, I think we're totally at peace with that. And we still feel as if he's, he's a, a real bright part of our future. I lied. I'm going to hit you with one more because it just hit me. Is it is it safe to think that Andrianza gets more time at second base the rest of the year than Forsyth? I think that's up to Paul, you know, and how he wants to deploy his assets. But I do think, you know, obviously Forsyth in his career has played second base, third base, played a little bit of first base. Andrianza can play all over the infield. We know Polanco can play multiple positions. Snow can play multiple positions. So I think it's up to Paul as to how he wants to truly deploy those guys. But I'm not sure those two guys alone are just married to that position. So we may see configurations where they're both on the field together or one or the other. But that, that will ultimately be Paul's call. And you guys are signing a lease with, with Rochester? Did I hear that correctly? Uh, a lease extension? To, I'll, I'll leave that up to a separate announcement with, with uh, oh, okay. Jeremy Zoll. As, he, okay. as he's out there right now, he's nice. visiting with Dan Mason and Naomi Silver and hopefully working through that as we speak safe to say think though that that you enjoy the relationship with with the rochester red wings i think it's it's special you know the the partnership i feel as if they've been with us since 2003 which makes them really part of the family it's not your prototypical affiliation uh hard to envision the rochester red wings not being affiliated with the minnesota twins and vice versa so i think we have very personal feelings about about dan and, and naomi and naomi's family and their ownership there as we do about Rochester, which I think has been, in my estimation, kind of an extension of twin territory. So, yes, very positive feelings about the Rochester Red Wings and the community in Rochester. Always appreciate the time, Thad. Thank you for being so transparent. Thanks, Darren. Twins general manager Thad Levine, always generous with his time. We'll get to Cole Aldrich, former Wolves center, the pride of Bloomington Jefferson. Great collegiate career at the University of Kansas with his number retired. He is looking for... His next opportunity, he is a free agent after the Wolves parted ways with him a few weeks ago. So we'll get to Cole in just a second. Let me tell you a little bit more, though, about Vivid Seats. Last season, as we know, was a very exciting season for the Vikings. So you want to be at U.S. Bank Stadium. And I would say after extending the contract of Stephon Diggs, all the other moves they've made, adding a quarterback that has a chance to be really, really good, although I do wonder if he'll be as good as 
Case Keenum was last year, but I do think over the next three years, Cousins is better than Case Keenum. So in many ways, you upgrade at the quarterback position. Dalvin Cook looks as good as ever. I have been to training camp the last handful of days. So there's many reasons to be excited about the 2018 Vikings season. And Vivid Seats is your source for Vikings tickets this season. The Vikings kick off the preseason, at least the home portion of their preseason schedule, August 18th against Jacksonville. And Vivid Seats wants to help you be there. From now until the end of August, Vivid Seats is offering the Scoop Podcast listeners an exclusive discount. Go to VividSeats.com or download the app and enter promo code SCOOP for 10% off your first order. The offer is good for new customers only. Again, VividSeats.com or download the Vivid Seats app and use the promo code SCOOP for 10% off your first order. Whether you're hoping to see a division rival like Green Bay, Detroit, Chicago, any number of other games in the regular season, one of the two preseason games, Vivid Seats is the place to go for your Vikings tickets. Again, just use the promo code SCOOP and receive 10% off your first ticket order from Vivid Seats. We will adjust on the fly. We'll get to Cole Aldrich after Ryan Harris. Creighton, Darum Hall, 10 years in the NFL. He won a Super Bowl ring with the Denver Broncos during the 2015 season. He had a great collegiate career at Notre Dame. He now does some media work in Denver. He played for Clancy Barone. Barone is now... The co-offensive line coach of the Vikings, but let's be frank, he is the voice that is louder in the meeting rooms, certainly louder on the practice field. So a lot of the Vikings offensive line success or failure this upcoming year will have a lot to do with the way Clancy Barone is coaching up or not coaching up his players but his track record is very solid and ryan knows that well he thinks the world of clancy barone he will tell us why clancy barone is such a good offensive line coach so let's now bring ryan harris into the conversation ryan always good to catch up i tagged you on twitter a couple times referencing clancy barone you know i laid out that you you played for clancy in denver your response to me was he is the best explain to me explain to the audience why clancy barone new vikings co-offensive line coach in your mind is the best one, he has an extreme, extreme understanding and expertise in the game of football. I mean, you're talking about uh, a coach who, when he was in Denver, uh, outlasted three separate head coaches. You know, three, two separate head coaches came into Denver and said, you know what, no, we want to keep Clancy Barone because of his knowledge of the game. So he understands the game at a very high level and not just at the position for offensive linemen, but I mean, he's worked with tight ends too. So he understands passing concepts. He understands how defenses are going to play. He understands um, what are important things for players to know. I mean, he used to have uh, a test, a a nine-page test he gave us every week through which he would cover the material in the week, but he wanted to make sure that we knew not only what plays and keys to be looking for, but also he also wanted to know from us what plays were on third and one, what our favorite plays as offensive linemen were uh, on third and seven. I mean, he wanted our input in addition to the knowledge he had. And that kind of lack of an ego with the understanding and knowledge is, is very rare in the NFL, and that's why you've seen such a successful coach. And then secondly, he understands wh- how to coach each player where they're at. And how I mean that is I had him ex- when I was extremely young, right, my third year in the NFL, and he coached me very, very hard in terms of making sure I understood the importance of every detail. When we won the Super Bowl later in 2015, he understood that I had continued to build on those 
those techniques and those understandings that I needed to have when we were young, when I was a younger player and we were together. And he had seen me perfect that and master that and really dedicate myself to that. So then our conversations were far more, hey, look out for this tendency. Hey, look out for, uh, you know, you have your foot back here on this run, so let's change that this week. It took it, took it to a, a higher level of performance where he really coached me at while he still coached the younger players uh, the very same way that he coached me when I was young, making sure they understood the importance of practice, the importance of every rep, and the importance of the game plan. All right. So you said a nine-page test that was weekly. I mean, what if you guys? What if somebody failed that test? Well, if you failed that test, playing on the offensive line with me, you know what I'm saying? We want you know you. And you, I'll tell you what, you definitely weren't getting in the huddle with Peyton Manning if you failed that test, right? But it wasn't as much a pass fail as hey, I want I want your efforts through the week uh, to be identifying the important keys of our opponent, and especially when you got guys who have a variety of ways have one- and two-year experiences, and then there'll be a bunch of guys with five, six, seven, eight. You know, there's not a lot of guys in between. And so it's tough for younger players especially to realize what they need to be focusing on. And by creating that nine-page test and covering it through the week, he gave people kind of an outline of, okay, here's what I'm paying attention to today. Here's what I'm paying attention to on first and second down. Here's what I'm paying attention to on third and long blitzes. Here's the, here's the red zone tendencies of this team. Here's what they do once you cross the 50-yard line. And these are all things that you want to have in your knowledge base to the point where you could play fast. And he just made sure that no matter where you were as a professional, young or veteran, that you were on the same page with the other guys you were taking the field with. In an ideal world, I mean, he's still coaching the tight ends here in Minnesota. I mean, we know the circumstances absolutely stink. Okay, so that being said, we'll put that to the side. Do you sense that, that the offensive line room, coaching the offensive line is – is home for Clancy. I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, he's coached tight ends. He's got great knowledge of the entire offense. But really, is the offensive line room home for him? You know, Clancy Barone makes the most of every opportunity he's given. And I, I, I don't think – I don't know if there's going to be a tougher job in all of the NFL this year than coaching the offensive line for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, Coach Sperano was beloved in the NFL and clearly beloved by the Vikings staff and then specifically Clancy Barone. And uh, I think that's going to be a constant weight in that room and a constant presence and, and, and questions that really can't be answered. So, you know, I think he's got the toughest job in all the NFL this year. And at the same time, if there's anybody who can handle it uh, and who, anybody who wants to make the, the most out of that situation, it's Clancy Barone. They've got the right guy. He's his own block scheme guy, right? I mean, that's pretty much what they run here, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot different you know people try to put a lot of difference between a zone and a, and a power run scheme really both both offenses have the same concepts uh, but with the stretch running you know it, it's a difference in where the holes are going to be and it's really more of a philosophy in calling plays right there's going to be some more boots there's going to be some more you know play action passes um but you know you're, you're going to be creating wider lanes uh versus deeper lanes and 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 those are things that, again, with Coach, Coach Barone's knowledge of football, he'll be able to dictate. And it's not just, okay, here's the play to the left side off the left tackle. It's this running back, you know, Cooks, he's, he's got a knack for jumping inside of that tackle when the tackle stretches. So you as a tackle, you've got to make sure, usually we want to aim for the outside shoulder, but because of how the running back runs it, aim more down the middles, bring that inside hand to widen, more than trying to create a dent because your running back's looking to go inside of you. So 
it's beyond just the play that Clancy mm-hmm. knows how to coach. He's using not only the concepts and philosophy of the offense, but the players playing in that offense. And that's where you really gain elite performance in the NFL. Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. Were there a lot of questions about your 2015 offensive line heading into that season with Denver? And if so, I mean, how much magic did Clancy work that year for you guys to ultimately win it all? Listen, there's a lot of questions going into the Super Bowl with our offensive line. And after we won it, uh, one of the questions I got was, hey, you know, there's a your offensive line went through a tough season. You know, what do you say? And I said, hey, listen, no other offensive line is going to have rings like ours. And, and that's the truth. And one of the greatest things that Clancy Barone did for our room was make sure that we focused on what was important, focused on our job, not what people thought we were doing, but the fact that we were going 11-5 and five and on the way to winning a Super Bowl. It's very hard in the NFL to maintain belief in yourself and belief in yourself as a unit if you don't have a coach that's telling you what to focus on, and specifically with the loss of Coach Sperano and with the aspirations of the Vikings franchise and the Vikings fans, Coach Barone will make sure these guys understand their job and what's important and what matters. You'll hear Coach say that a lot. You know, this is what matters. This is what matters. This is what matters. And that repetition and that focus will create extreme, extreme high performance out of the offensive line for the Vikings as well as the rest of the team. As, as offensive line goes, so does your team go. On those aspirations, I mean, how much do you like this Vikings team overall? Say it again. How much do you like this Vikings team overall? I mean, you mentioned the aspirations. I mean, how about just overall? I mean, there's a lot of people here thinking, you know, 12 wins, maybe 13 wins, that there might not be a better roster in the NFC, heck, maybe the entire NFL, that that there is a window right now for the Vikings to win their first ever Super Bowl. Well, what I love to see as a Vikings fan, you cut these veins open, they're purple and blue, brother. I know. I'll tell you what. So, I mean, I love, and you love as a fan when the organization goes for that window that you're talking about. And it's clear you know, from getting Kirk Cousins, from re-signing, you know, Diggs to to re- that they are making efforts. You know, locking up Rudolph long term. They're making efforts to really secure not just this window, but the identity of this team of a team that competes for an NFC North championship, a team that's unafraid to play the Packers in the playoffs or regular season, a team that's going to go into Chicago and into Detroit and win games. I mean, that's that's what you want as a Vikings fan. But the thing I really love is how they, how they bounced back and showed so much resolve last season. And listen, Case Keenum's here in Denver now. We got him. Sorry, mm-hmm. guys. But you had, a, you had lost a core. You had your third-string quarterback step up and start to play it to a level where you won 13 games, and that's incredible in the NFL. If there's any kind of improvement at the quarterback position or even similar play, and you add Cooks back after his injury, I mean, that's going to be a fantastic offense who has a lot of experience. And, one of the, and the most valuable experience the Vikings had last year was losing that game in Philadelphia. Until you go to the playoffs and until you lose to a team in the NFL that is going to win a championship, you don't know what it takes. Each and every member of that Vikings team right now that was on the team last year understands what it takes to win in the playoffs and understands if you're going to be there, you might as well win. And that valuable experience, coupled with the experience that Kirk Cousins brings from his playoff times, they are going to have an expectation, and, and it's going to show in how they practice and how they approach meetings and how they approach games 1 through 16 of the season. On the purple and gold veins, Randy Moss going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. you have a good Randy Moss story or, or memory that sticks out? I just remember when I found out Randy Moss was watching the, the big jumbotron when Dante Culpepper was throwing him the football for those deep balls that mm-hmm. really – 
you don't see in the NFL like that anymore. And we as Vikings fans got to see that up close and personal for so long. And the fact that he learned that nuance of not only am I going to run a route, but I'm going to keep my head straight. I'm just going to watch. I'm going to watch the jumbotron and see when that ball's in the air, and that's what I'm going to turn my head and look for. I mean, that to me was just. As a young kid, that was magic. And as a young kid, you know, I loved when he pulled his pants down and rubbed his booty on the Packers' uh, goalposts. And he just, you know, straight cash, homie, and Super Bowl homeboy. I mean, these are all things that I still say to this day. And uh, I just I love the contributions Randy Moss made to the game. I love the story of perseverance in his life. And I love that he was able to do it for the Vikings for a long time. The Cretan football fraternity, how happy are you that Michael Floyd is back in the NFL signing with the New Orleans Saints? I mean, I think the New Orleans Saints have I, – I told people the other day, I mean, I got a radio show out here in Denver, uh, and I said, it's going to be the Saints and the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. So mm. I'm so happy for, for world champion Michael Floyd, uh, and world champion individual, and again, another story of perseverance and, and that St. Paul toughness that us Capital City kids have of maintaining your ability and, and fighting through some adversity. And I couldn't be happier for Mike. What was the last year you were on the Notre Dame roster? 2006, five. It was the 2007. So I got there in 03, and I think it was the 07 season. Like we played the Sugar Bowl in 07. There, first game back into the New Orleans uh, Sugar Dome was my was our was our uh, bowl game. What I'm getting at is, and this just hit me. I mean, there were a ton of Minnesotans on that roster, right? I mean, it wasn't just you. I mean, yeah, John the kid Carl, from Apple Valley, Trevor yeah, Lawrence, Litchfield, yeah. right? Marcus Freeman. Yep. So I mean, there was a. There was a Minnesotan, uh, and there's going to be now with uh, with Carroll, the, the offensive tackle uh, coming from, I believe he's from Edina. Or like he is that. from Edina. He's big uh, time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So he's coming to Notre Dame. Uh, there's been a Minnesota guy. There's been a Cretan guy. There was a Cretan guy there at Notre Dame for a stretch for 20 consecutive years. Is that right? Uh, and uh, and now, Michael, you know, we've got yeah. a Minnesotan back there. I can't say enough about Our Ladies University, the absolute best college in, in, in the world. And, you know, really it's God's university. So, you know, go anywhere at your peril. All right, so you bleed, what, purple and gold, but you definitely don't ever bleed maroon and gold? Listen, I love the Gophers, and I, and I want them to be successful. Fantastic stadium, and I, I really do want kids, high school kids in, in Minnesota. You know, my, bro, my brother's playing at Creighton this year as a tackle, and I, and I want kids to feel – that pride that they can go to the University of Minnesota and compete for a national championship as as kids in Minnesota and as kids in Michigan as kids in Ohio State as kids at Florida and Texas feel and and you know we have, I say all the time Minnesota's the best football state per capita in the entire in the entire nation and uh, the more we can kind of get the U of M program up and running get those kids in that gigantic locker room at U of M and keep them there in dinky town i think you know the better for everyone and uh, I'm, I'm happy at the success they've had and i look forward to future success from the gophers ryan always fun to catch up let's do it again real soon sounds good thanks for having me now it's time to get to cole aldrich but first skull marketing helps keep the podcast going they are such a big part of the football conversation i've got some vikings notes i'll get to later as well but piggybacking off the ryan harris interview skull marketing is a business to business marketing agency they know that your small business deserves more attention so their focus their primary focus is small business owners but hey they will cater to any business owner they are here to help you but they do specialize in working with local small businesses they too are a locally owned company started by two former google employees 
to help the little guys compete. They work with businesses in web development, pay-per-click advertising, social media management, and so many more areas. They want to make Google work for you. So think about it. You're a business owner, and comparable businesses pop up in a Google search before yours. Why is that? Why doesn't your business pop up ahead of others? These guys can work with you on that. Do this. You can get a free 30-minute consultation. So let them pitch what they do to you. Then you can make a determination. Okay, I'm in or I'm out. It's a free 30-minute consultation. 612-787-SKOL. 612-787-SKOL. For more information online, it is skolmarketing.com. Skoll Marketing. Okay, it's now time to catch up with Cole Aldrich. Cole, always fun to catch up. How, I guess, is, let's just start here. I mean, how is professional free agent life treating you right now? <laughs> it's a little slow right now, but, you know, I'm, I'm basically just controlling what I can control, and that's, you know, being in the gym and in the weight room and making sure that I'm ready to go when uh, September comes around. Yeah, or whether it's October, I mean, you know, it is only August 1st. I mean, it's not like it has to move fast right now, right? You know, my wife and I were talking about it the other night. We were kind of joking like, man, it, you know, it just it feels like forever. But at the same time, you know, free agency started four weeks ago. And, you know, sometimes it's slow. And especially this year, it, it really has been slow. I mean, you see a number of guys that still haven't, signed with teams i mean even a guy on our team last year jamal crawford who is uh still a free agent yeah or you know shabazz muhammad was with you guys for a stretch last year he's still a free agent Corey brewer nick young i mean there's some there's some good players good veteran guys still out there so yeah i mean it's it's been an interesting market to say the least would you agree i agree um you know i think kind of uh looking back a few years ago you know, teams had that that big jump in in, uh, in salary cap, and a lot of teams just went and kind of spent a lot of money. And you know, I think teams now are kind of maybe a little more hesitant to to jump the gun as much as they were before. Um, and that's just kind of how free agency goes. Sometimes, sometimes it's really quick, and a lot of guys kind of go early in those first week or two and then you see some of the other guys trickle in within the next month but you know this year is obviously a little little more slow i suppose though i mean it's the good and the bad i mean right now it's it's unfortunately bad for you but the good is you know a couple years ago when when the cap did rise so significantly it worked out brilliantly for you signing the the deal that you did with the wolves you know it did um you know i had I, i came off basically two even three really good years two in new york and you know those the two years in new york kind of maybe get a little undermined sometimes just because we weren't uh, a great team especially my second year but you know then uh that year that i went to la played for the clippers i had a really good year and mm-hmm. we made uh, a portland playoff run and you know, unfortunately, we had two two of our main guys get hurt, so it was kind of kind of over after that. But you know, just looking at free agency and, and kind of my career, it's just it's all been a blessing. You know, speaking of that of that last Clippers team that you were on, I mean, how how fascinating is it? I mean, I get it; guys change teams all the time. But you think about that core that was in place with that Clippers team. 
you know, with J.J. Redick, with Jamal Crawford, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. Now it's it's completely blown up. Isn't that nuts? I don't know if there's one guy that was other than Wes Johnson. <laughs> I think Wes Johnson has been really the only guy that's been on that team since I was on it, and that was three years ago. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure Wes, you know, I mean, they have a bunch of contracts. I think they have more than the 15 right now. I mean, Wes is one of those guys that – that I think may not be a Clipper for much longer. So, yeah, in just a yeah. short period of time, the Clippers will have completely transformed their franchise. It's 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 incredible. You know, you, you see the turnover a lot more nowadays than maybe what you had saw at the beginning of my career. I, I was in Oklahoma City, and, you know, basically that core stayed together for eight years. And, uh, and nowadays, that you know, it's kind of rare. And, you know, I mean, the fact, I mean, you know, you mentioned, I mean, New York and Oklahoma City and the Clippers. I mean, you have bounced around a lot. How much does that put your mind at ease, your wife's mind at ease, that you guys know you'll always maintain a house here in the Twin Cities, I'm, I'm presuming. I'm guessing that you'll always maintain a home base here in the Twin Cities, but, but that you're used to moving. So whenever the phone rings, it inevitably will ring, you know, whether it's in the NBA or overseas, you're going to be on a roster at some point here that – that you know that that you can make an adjustment to a new city, to a new franchise rather easily. Yeah, you know, I was on four teams in a full calendar year at one point. In That's time. right, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, obviously it's going to be an adjustment moving, being that we've been home for the past two years and, and played here, but, you know, it, we, we've seen quite a bit throughout my, my career and, you know, uh, a job is is a good job. Um, I think we all kind of forget how hard it is to not only get to the NBA but but stay. Um, three and a half years is about average, and I've I've almost tripled that. So it's all a blessing, and it's just it's so much fun to kind of go out there and just compete and do what I love doing. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think people oftentimes forget that, that it is really, really, really hard to make the NBA. Like, I've always said, Cole, I've maintained this, that that there are more NBA-caliber players than jobs available. Like, I'm guessing you know of guys that, that can play in the NBA, but just because there's there's roster limit sizes, that, that certain guys just haven't had a real opportunity to, to play long-term in the NBA. Yeah, you look at, there's 450 guys in the NBA, and I bet you there's guys that are there's probably six, 700 guys around the world that are able to play in the NBA. And some of them just choose not to. Um, I know a few guys that are like, well, I'm just going to go over and play overseas because I have a little more stability. I have a great paying job there. And some of those guys may make more money than what they would be kind of bouncing around the league. Sure. I mean, like, a specific example that hits me is Matt Janning. I don't know if you know Matt from from Watertown Mayor. Like, yeah. you know, the Wolves have kicked the tires on him any number of times. He's been in for workouts. He had a cup of coffee with who the Phoenix Suns a few years ago. But, but like, these teams want him to sign a non-guaranteed contract. So then he's locked in over here with no guarantee for the full year, yet he can make a ton of money overseas. So why not take the guaranteed money overseas as much as, as he'd like to be in the NBA if there's no guarantee that you're going to be on a roster come – you know, November 15th, December 1st, December 15th, 
January 1st. Why roll that dice if you have a guarantee overseas? Of course. And, you know, a guy like him, he he would have no problem making three to five, six hundred thousand dollars a year. And, you know, that that's a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you think about it. I mean, oftentimes the teams overseas, they take care of of living expenses. They give you a car. I mean, cost of living oftentimes is is minimal. So you can make a healthy six figures, even seven figures, and your cost of living is is at times essentially zero. So, I mean, you're pocketing all that money. So, I mean, I get it. I mean, speaking of that, I mean, are you open-minded to potentially playing overseas? You know, I am. Um, obviously, this is kind of all that I've known is playing in the NBA. Eight years going from college, I was a lottery pick, and I've kind of been a journeyman throughout my career. And players in the NBA – it's harder to kind of maybe wrap your mind around something that you don't really understand as much as a guy say like Matt who played overseas. And if he decides to, to take on the NBA, you know, that's a new thing, but he's home, you know, living in another country after you've lived here your whole life, you know, has, has more of its challenges, but, you know, there, there's definitely openness of me playing overseas because, I, you know, I still have a few years left of, of playing. Have teams overseas reached out to your representation? I believe so. Um, you know, I think it kind of really depends on the right situation. You know, I know China right now, everybody looks at it as, you know, the, the best thing next to the NBA and, you know, that probably is an option to some extent. I'm not totally sure right now. But, um, you know, I just I, I love playing basketball. And, you know, if it, if it brings us to another country, then, you know, it brings us to another country. I'm, I'm doing what I love doing. Is there still maybe a chance that you end up back in a Timberwolves uniform? Your guess is probably as good as mine is. Um, I believe they – I think – one or two roster spots still open. I mean, they have 12 guaranteed contracts. They just signed another guy the other day, C.J. Williams, to a two-way deal. But they're only at 12 guaranteed contracts. I don't think they'll get to 15, but but yeah, I think they so get to 14. One. So at least one, and I really think two. You know, so, yeah. I mean, they're going to fill it with, with somebody or multiple bodies. So, yeah, why not? I mean, I guess that possibility is still out there. I mean, if you want my personal opinion, Cole, my guess would be no. But I guess until until they fill a spot or two, and as long as you're out there, the possibility does exist. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Obviously, I would love to be back here. You know, my, my two years has, has been great to, to be here and uh, to see my family and, and hang out with friends a little more than what I'm used to. But, um, you know, on the court was – was it maybe a different situation than, than maybe what I expected? But, you know, that that's just kind of how it goes. And I'm at the point in my career now where I have to find ways of getting on the court and creating value. Uh, you know, not playing for the last few years hasn't, hasn't helped my free agency this summer. And, you know, I, I know that I'm only 29 years old. I still have 
know, a good three, four, five years left of playing, and it just takes an opportunity to get back on the court and show that. I agree, and you had a good year going back to your last year with the Clippers when you entered free agency. I mean, that was that was always the head scratcher to me. That that I'm not saying that that you know Tibbs had to play you 35 minutes a night, but I did think that maybe he could have used you, especially against certain teams, whether it was Utah or another another big team, where I thought maybe he could have used you a little bit more. So when you say that your time here was great, what do you mean by that? Because just you know, from my personal standpoint. I thought you should have played more, and you didn't. So I'm curious how it was great if you weren't playing maybe when you should have been. Well, you know, as a competitor and as an athlete, you always want to be on the court. And, you know, when we signed Taj last year, I I guess I kind of saw the writing on the wall knowing that, okay, it's going to be him either starting or Gorgie starting like the previous year and him and and Taj coming out the bench. However it worked, it essentially put me out of out of rotation, and in the little rotation that I was in towards the end of the year, you know, I kind of saw the writing on the wall, and I knew that there's still ways to impact a team and be a part of a group of guys, and and know that you know I'm not going to just sit here and pout and. and be be a kindergartner and say, well, I'm not playing, so I'm not doing this. And, you know, that, that never helps anybody's situation. And, you know, there's obviously ways to to impact a team. And, you know, I, I did as much as I could, whether I was playing a few minutes a game or I had, you know, 15 DMPs in a row. It, it was always making sure that I wanted to impact our team in the most positive way that I could. How challenging was that with so many – interesting personalities jimmy butler leads in his own i don't know lack of a better way of saying it interesting way then you've got the young guys carl anthony towns andrew wiggins i mean just it seems like it's it's a very interesting locker room that the wolves have it is you know there's a there's a real different dynamic in the sense of you kind of had the the old guys and then you had the young guys you had the me, Jamal, uh, Jimmy had seven years in, um, Taj, Jeff Teague, you had a bunch of older guys, but then you also had guys that were basically still in their first contract, Tyus, Belly, uh, even though Gorgie and Belly aren't really necessarily age-wise young, they're, they're NBA young, um, I, I had fun. I had. I think every year you kind of are in a different locker room. You look at my first year here compared to my second. Yeah, a lot of change. You know, my first year we were we were struggling. We we didn't quite know who we who we were, and we had two really really good guys, and then you had Zach, who was also really good. And then you kind of had some pieces that didn't quite know how we fit. And I think that's kind of the fun of the season is is trying to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, although, you know, at this point now that, that the roster got to 47 wins last year, gets to the playoffs, I mean, the hope is that, that it's, you know, I mean, you always tune to a degree and change things up, you know, fine-tune things, but – but the hope would be that that you know everybody's on the same page for the most part that that this thing can keep getting better and better. Yet, 
I mean, as you well know, there's so many questions about, you know, does Jimmy Butler want to be here long term? Does he like Carl Anthony Towns? Does he like Andrew Wiggins? Carl Anthony Towns saying that he needs to talk about some things at, at his camp a couple weeks ago. You know, everybody wondering about Tibbs and how Tibbs interacts with, with you guys. You know, just so many questions lingering when, when it should be fun times right now coming off the first playoff appearance in 14 years. Yeah, I mean, you look at the year that we had last year and you kind of look at, I guess, how the summer has progressed and really the only way it's progressed is losing Belly and, and signing Anthony Tolliver. Um, and you see kind of how the West has molded with, you know, L.A. having LeBron and Lance Stevenson and all these other guys and still have Golden State. The, the Rockets are definitely going to not be as good as they were last year. Uh, losing Ariza and mm-hmm. um, whoever, I'm trying to think of the other guy that they lost, but um, Emba, Luke Mabute. Yeah, but and, you know, they've added some guys. I think the Rockets might be close to as good. I mean, getting Capella back was was the big That's move. Big you know, I mean, I guess it comes down to whether Carmelo's got anything left, but the Rockets should still be pretty good. I mean, I guess the point is, I mean, the Western Conference is as good as ever because the Lakers are now better. I don't know if Dallas is a playoff team, but getting your guy Jordan, they're instantly better, plus Doncic. You know, Phoenix has added guy. Speaking of Ariza, you know, Ariza goes to Phoenix, so Phoenix should be better. I mean, you look at every team in the West, I mean, outside of maybe Sacramento, you can make a case that that team at least has a fighting chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, you look at 1 through 10, and that's uh, that's that's uh, <laughs> us last year making 47 wins and basically sneaking in at, at a last-second shot, essentially, to get into the playoffs. You know, then you add all those moves that other teams have done. Plus, Denver's gotten better. Utah is still good. Portland is still going to be good. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's a slugfest in the West, and you, you just kind of look at it and you think, okay, you know how how do you make that next move? Because you know that's what the organization wants to do is progression wise get to the playoffs you know sure we want we lost 4-1 to to Houston but I mean you got a team that that was really really good and potentially could have been in the finals if CP was healthy for that game seven um and then you want to make it to that second maybe even the conference finals and you know you really got to find a way to to mold and to mesh those pieces because it, it's hard. It's hard to get to the playoffs, and it's even harder to advance throughout the rounds. I'll leave you after this, Cole. Who Who is the best coach that you've played for, or maybe the coach that, that you enjoyed being around the most, and why? Huh. You know, I've had some really good coaches. Um, you know, not only, you know, with Coach Self in college, but you know, throughout my six, I think I've had in the NBA. Yeah, Scotty sounds Brooks, about right. Yeah, uh, Key Smart in Sacramento, McHale in Houston, uh, Mike Woodson in New York, mm-hmm. Derek Fisher in New York. 
Doc, and then Tibbs. So I've, I guess I've had seven <laughs> seven coaches in eight years. That's nuts. Um, <laughs> you know, they all do something so differently. Um, I, I thought Doc was great in the way that he, you know, pushed you, but also you had a relationship with him, and and, and he trusts you. And uh, Mike Woodson in New York, um, you know, my first year there when he was coaching, it was didn't play a whole lot in the beginning of the year. And then towards the end of the year, we were kind of making a playoff push and I started to play. And, you know, I got to know him even more when he was in L.A. When I was with the Clippers, he was one of the assistants on, on staff. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I think Doc, Doc was great. He was a very understanding coach. We came in, we got our work done, and we got out. And and we had family time and downtime, and you know our families were invited to a lot of the events that we had. And just that group of guys with CP and Blake and DeAndre and JJ Jamal, it was it was a big big family because everybody was was invited to anything that anybody did. You know, some guy had guys over at his house big cookout we'd have at least half the team show up and guys would be hanging out playing some cards just drinking some wine and BSing. yeah i mean i wish i wish there was more of a family atmosphere here you know i mean selfishly because hey i have a lot of friends that work for the wolves organization so i root for their well-being i mean you know as as a radio guy tv guy you know, you try to be as objective as possible, but, but when you have personal relationships with individuals, you root for their well-being. And I do think if it was more of a family atmosphere with the Wolves, that could only help. No guarantee that, that it guarantees success, but I don't think it would it would hurt in any way. I, I agree. I mean, I've, I've been a part of teams where, you know, like I'll go back to the Clippers, where we had that. We were, we were very successful. You know, unfortunately, Blake and Chris got hurt in the same quarter of a playoff game, and that was basically the end of the season. Uh, my two years in Oklahoma City, they were super hands-on with families and invited them to stuff and the family room and this and that, and we made it to the finals my uh, second year in the league, and they basically, the team chartered a plane for the families and got two extra tickets to what would have been three finals games because at that time they did two, three, two. And, you know, they were geez, probably over-accommodating in a lot of senses. But that's uh, – and that, that might be maybe where the league is going more corporate than kind of maybe a, a small family business in a sense. Cole, always fun to catch up. I will make sure that we that we track your your free agent progress as as often and as much as we can. And I know I speak for many when I say we are wishing you nothing but the best. And I know at some point here it might be right before training camp starts, so we might be six, seven, eight weeks away. But but I have no something doubt in my mind. Happen. Yes, something is going. I don't even know if it'll be the NBA. Maybe it is overseas. But hey, there's nothing wrong with that. That would be one heck of a life experience. So I know that you're going to end up on a roster sometime soon. Yeah, 
I, I appreciate it. It's always fun to catch up. One of the great guys here in the Twin Cities that I've had the pleasure to cover going back over 20 years, the pride of Bloomington Jefferson High School, it is Cole Aldrich. All right, let's get to a handful of notes, and we will call it a podcast. We'll start with a few Vikings notes. Mike Remmers went down with an injury in Tuesday's practice. I am told it's a left ankle sprain. I am told it is minor, but the Vikings will be extra cautious. So don't look for him on the practice field on Thursday if you're going to Egan. Friday, probably not even Saturday. This could even linger into next week. Hard to pinpoint an exact timetable. But it's not a serious injury. There's nothing broken when talking about September 9th. The opener against San Francisco, Mike Remmers, should be just fine. An update on Pat Elfline, who remains on the pup list. Somebody close to Pat told me, quote, getting there, but still work to do. On the Stefan Diggs negotiations, make no mistake, the Vikings gave him good money. It was a healthy back and forth as the way it was described to me. The Vikings' initial offer was in that $10 million a year range. Certainly a healthy number, but not what Diggs and his agent were looking for. They cited the Jarvis Landry contract worth almost $48 million in guaranteed money from the Cleveland Browns. But in many ways, the Browns with so much cap space reset the wide receiver market. So I think Diggs and his agent realized at some point that they come off that expectation, that number, but certainly $40 million in guaranteed money, five years, $72 million. Those are really good numbers. He will be among the 10 highest paid receivers in the game. Pretty remarkable for a guy that was the 20th receiver taken in the 2015 draft, although he's always been a stud. I mean, he was a five-star receiver coming out of high school. We had his college coach, Randy Etzel, who is now the head coach of Connecticut on back in January after the Minneapolis Miracle, go find that episode. Randy was phenomenal talking about what it was like to coach Stefan at the University of Maryland. But I'm just telling you, that is not necessarily a team-friendly deal. I am willing to die on the hill that Daniil Hunter's deal is a team-friendly deal. There was some give and take. It is a good deal for the Vikings, but it is also a very good deal for Stefan Diggs. No sense anything is close on Anthony Barr. The last I heard is he's looking for eight figures on a per year basis. Whether that's ten million, eleven million, he's making a healthy nearly thirteen million dollars this year. He's got the insurance policy. He's learning to rush the passer from the defensive line. So he is adding to his arsenal. So I can tell you, I mean his camp realizes hey, if Anthony hits the open market, he can make a good amount of money if they put the franchise tag on him. He'll make even more than he's making this year. But also remember that the Vikings have an excellent relationship with Anthony Barr's representation. They also represent Harrison Smith, Kyle Rudolph, and Everson Griffin. So talks are ongoing. When there's talks, sometimes there is action. So we will continue to monitor the Anthony Barr contract negotiations. But as of now, no sense that anything is close. The Vikings have not approached Nick Easton's representation yet about a contract extension. Guys who are talked about in coaches' meetings after the first two days in pads, this is just a partial list, but names that were given to me, Tyler Conklin, Dalvin Cook, Riley Reef, Linval Joseph, and C.J. Ham. and talked about when I say that in a very positive way. Those players stood out through the first two days of padded practices, but heck, 
Cutdown day is still a month away, September 1st. So much can change. So it's not like I'm going to go day by day looking for a progress report. But I figured, hey, the pads went out on Monday. They had the pads again on Tuesday. Then the day off on Wednesday where the coaches reset some things, have some healthy conversations. So I do know that those players were singled out as performing well the first two days in pads. I talked to Kennedy Palamalu one-on-one the other day. I mean, he was fantastic about Dalvin Cook. I will replay that conversation in episode 164. May get to that even later this week, if not later this week, than early next week. Congratulations to some really good guys. The Vikings gave a handful of people some promotions on Wednesday. Among them, Sam Newton, Bob Hagan, and Jeff Anderson. For the sake of what I do, what us in the media do, those guys are as helpful as it gets. So congratulations to some really good guys. I was there the other day when the State High School League was there to announce the football games at the Vikings TCO Performance Center Stadium. One thing that's interesting is it's a home game for Egan and it's a home game for Prior Lake. Prior Lake will play Lakeville North. There's so much that goes into sacrificing a home game at your home stadium. For example, Prior Lake, they have four home games. You give up one, you're down to three. I had somebody tell me, you know, you think about all the special nights, like youth night. They are now combining so many different events into three home games at Prior Lake High School compared to four. But ultimately, the players running out of the tunnel, that atmosphere, it was too good to pass up. Now, I can tell you Lakeville North, for example, they knew they had to get on a bus anyway and play a road game. So to be able to play a road game at the Vikings facility, they are thrilled. Same goes for Farmington, who will be the road team against Egan. But I just know a lot went into it in terms of gate and money. I know that like for Prior Lake, they go back five years. They take the average gate over those five years, and that is what Prior Lake is guaranteed for giving up its home game at Prior Lake High School. On Lakeville North, by the way, Bryce Benhart, who is a stud offensive lineman, he's been on this podcast before. The momentum is still there on the Wisconsin Badgers. He's expected to announce his college choice in the coming weeks. I think Wisconsin will be a tough beat for the stud tackle. He has played right tackle in the past, likely plays left tackle this year. All right, let's get to the Wolves. The best news of the week is the release that many of us got on Wednesday afternoon about Derek Rose, Wolves guard. He made an announcement that he will award over $400,000 in college tuition money. Kudos to Derek Rose. Also on the court-wise, Rose back in the gym with his longtime trainer, Rob McClenahan. Rob has worked with a number of NBA players going back a number of years, including Kevin Love. John Wall, and others. David Nwamba commit to the Cleveland Cavaliers on Wednesday. The Wolves had a lot of dialogue about Nwamba, and they thought at one point, hey, maybe they have a chance to get him. He wasn't willing to come here at the minimum. Now, if the Wolves had gone a little bit higher, they could have gone a little bit higher. Maybe that's a different discussion, but it never quite got to that point. But I do know the Wolves had a number of conversations, external conversations, about trying to sign Nawamba. So that's a disappointment that he is now a Cleveland Cavalier. Brandon Paul is somebody the Wolves pursued pretty heavily last summer. He ultimately chose the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs did not exercise an option on his contract for next year. They had until August 1st to do so. So Paul is now a free agent. Now he's being pursued by some teams overseas. They may be willing to pay him more than he can make in the NBA, at least at the minimum. But keep an eye on that name because the Wolves 
Liked him last summer. He can shoot. He fits that younger type profile. He's a name that's semi-recognizable here in the Midwest from his time in the Big Ten at the University of Illinois. But Brandon Paul, another free agent, added to the market as the Wolves look to add a 13th and likely 14th guaranteed contract, or at least a contract that is guaranteed for some of the season. They add another two-way player the other day, C.J. Williams, who started some games for the L.A. Clippers last year. C.J. expected to join the podcast at some point in the very near future. That may also be on episode 164. To score him on a two-way is one heck of a get now. There's a good chance there was talk of him being on the Wolves roster for a certain amount of days, 20 days, 30 days, you know, up to 45 days, so he makes some of that NBA money. But to get C.J. Williams on a two-way deal, that is a great job by the Wolves. The latest on Carl Anthony Towns is... That offer is still sitting there. That max offer, he's still expected to sign, but I had somebody in the loop tell me that they wouldn't be shocked more so from the league side slash town side, but that they wouldn't be shocked if Towns waits a number of weeks to sign, that this thing could linger into September, into the fall, but that five-year max offer is just sitting there for Cat to sign. But, hey, guess what? You know, until him and Tibbs have that heart-to-heart you know, before he has some things answered. And as long as he doesn't sign, hey, you know, it has people talking, people wondering what's up. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing from the town's side. So, again, the expectation remains he will sign, but I don't think he's in any particular rush to sign. On Jimmy Butler, the bandage was expected to come off the hand. He had minor surgery on his hand recently, but if he wants to get back to playing five-on-five here, in fact, like right now, He is fine. Nothing to worry about with that minor hand surgery. The momentum remains for John Lucas III to take Rick Brunson's spot on the coaching staff. Scott Layden, general manager, Brian Pauga, personnel guy, were both in Las Vegas representing the Wolves last week at the Team USA minicamp. I'll finish with some Twins notes. I had some local basketball, high school basketball notes, including an injury update on Jalen Suggs that I got the other day, forgot to tweet it out, and I think I'll just hold it for episode 164 because I didn't realize we're already at the 73-minute mark. Jeez, my gosh, I went longer than I planned to with the three interviews. I'll save some notes for episode 164 on the Twins because I was asked a few times, hey, were the Twins in on Chris Harcher before the Rays moved him to Pittsburgh? I was told from somebody directly involved, quote, Really not involved. So the Twins did check in. They gauged it. But the Twins never really engaged in any sort of serious dialogue about trading for Chris Archer. My sense is that management from Derek Falvey on down realizes that maybe there was a miscalculation on having so many guys on one-year deals, expiring deals, that there was a sense of at times because, hey, guys that need to look out for their long-term future, Some me, 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 I, 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 not always team. That's why Matt Belisle was brought in because the clubhouse needed a spark, needed some additional leadership. So on the surface, you look at all the moves the Twins made last winter, you know, whether it was Lance Lynn, Logan Morrison, you know, at a cheap number. I mean, we all knew Logan wasn't going to do what he did last year with Tampa, but you figure at the number they got him at, hey, that's a good roll of the dice, you know, bringing in Zach Duke and Fernando Rodney. You know, we all liked a lot of those moves, but I sense that the Twins feel like 
that having so many guys on expiring deals thinking about their long-term viability, their long-term future, would it be here in Minnesota, would it be elsewhere, that that clouded things at times. So that is a lesson learned. They will recalibrate and have a slightly different approach, not to dismiss them signing one or two guys to maybe a one-year deal, but having just so many guys on expiring contracts. I get the sense that the front office has learned its lesson on that front. Trevor Larnick, in case you missed it, hit his first two professional home runs on Tuesday night. All right, that does it. Be sure to support Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is a new sponsor of the Scoop Podcast. They are an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that last a lifetime. The NFL is back. That means the return of Vikings football. And this season, Vivid Seats is helping Scoop listeners get to U.S. Bank Stadium to see the Vikings with an exclusive offer. Scoop listeners should go to VividSeats.com or download the app. Use the promo code SCOOP for 10% off your first ticket order. Ten home games, two preseason, eight regular season. Get to U.S. Bank Stadium. It should be a very special Viking season. Also, Skoll Marketing, they help local business owners. They will help you make money. If you're a business owner, call them for a free 30-minute consultation, 612-787-SKOL, 612-787-SKOL. Or for more information, check out their website, skollmarketing.com. They will help you make money. I'm telling you, hey, take advantage of the free 30-minute consultation. Let them sell themselves to you. Then you can make a determination. So we thank Vivid Seats and Skull Marketing for keeping the podcast going. I will be back at some point pretty soon with episode 164, Kennedy Palomalu, Tyler Conklin, Mike Boone, C.J. Williams, whatever else pops up, and a number of notes, including about the local high school basketball scene. Always appreciate you listening. That does it for episode 163. He knows you once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down on the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.